Welcome to the Michigan Opportunity, an economic development podcast featuring candid conversations with business leaders across Michigan. You'll hear firsthand accounts from Michigan business leaders and innovators about how the state is driving job growth and business investment, supporting a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem, building vibrant communities, and helping to attract and retain one of the most diverse and significant workforces in the nation. Hello, I'm your host, Ed Clementi, and today we're very fortunate to have Nathan Ole. He's the, give me your official title, but I know you're the president, CEO, executive director. I know you've got a lot of different things there because you've worked your way up to the ranks. What, what, what do you go by right now, Nathan? I'm the president and CEO of the International Economic Development Council. And on top of that, uh, you know, I've, it's something that you and I, but and our, our CEO, Quentin, knows what it is, but I'm sure you go to a lot of functions probably in Washington, D.C., where you're based, right? Uh, what do you tell people, kind of the short answer when someone asks what you do? So what I say is the International Economic Development Council is the world's largest membership association for economic developers. So we provide professional development opportunities, both for individuals and organizations to further their own career and, and better understand and get more trained in economic development. We are hosting conferences and bringing people together around important topics. We do policy and advocacy here in D.C. and sometimes at the state level. And then we're also doing thought leadership. We're pushing for new ideas, new innovative approaches to economic de- development to help further the field. You know, and, and just because the show is sort of about economic development and futurism and things like that, um, what do you kind of tell people economic development is? Because I've I've worked on it in many different levels, state and nationally. But what do you kind of tell people what it is as your short definition? To me, economic development, the heart of economic development is really centered around people and communities. Economic developers are the conveners and communities that bring business, that bring government, that bring nonprofits together to talk about and create opportunities for growth in those communities. And it's really about providing good paying jobs, a good quality of life in in communities and regions and bringing people together to raise the interest of those communities and and provide good opportunities for families to live and thrive. Yeah, I I remember when I used to run a chamber of commerce, we always used a short definition of something like it's the balance between economic development and quality of life. And so that, you know, you needed people to want to live in your community, but you also make sure you had some jobs to provide them. And we also used to use a little bit of a definition between sort of uh, wealth creation and wealth churning, uh, where some companies make the wealth so other companies can sort of work off of that sort of foundation, right? Yeah, to me, it all starts at the community level, and the businesses are certainly a huge part of that, right? They help to build community within not only their own realm, but also in the way that they give back to communities, engage in those communities. And, you know, from a community standpoint, it starts with those that are that are located in their community and obviously those that might come into the community. And how do they create opportunities for not just businesses to thrive, but for the the community and the region itself to benefit from that? Yeah. And even your definition you just gave me of the balance between public sector, private sector, nonprofits, NGOs, even higher education. Right. They all have a part into it. And the economic development sort of ecosystem, it, it's easy for us to sort of know what it is, but it's kind of like the blind guys describing the elephant, you know, and sometimes people get stuck in their own silos as their parts are the most important, but it's such a real mix and 
uh, balance of all those different sectors that really make it work. Well, it's different in each community, right? Because if you're in a rural community or urban community or even urban to urban or rural to rural, there's going to be differences in the way that that your community approaches economic development based on your own assets and opportunities that exist in those communities. So, you know, there are lots of ways to think about this, but you can't get an asylum, especially the last three years we've seen the interconnectedness between infrastructure conversations and economic development and housing are all intertwined and they're they're coming closer together and we've got to be willing to not just invite people to our own tables, but show up at other people's tables in those conversations as well. Yeah, and it's and it's uh I'm gonna get to your background in a few minutes, but um I wanna stay on this topic just for a little bit because because I know you're call yourselves the international, you know, uh, and that's the that's the key to me, I think a pretty important component, because you know. Even with America, our style of economic development is very different than other parts in the world. And everything, depending on their type of government, you know, like a parliament might do it very differently, you know, than we do here. But how do you um, describe sort of the uniqueness of American economic development? And then maybe a little bit how you guys sort of lead that discussion with international folks, because I know you've hosted quite a few organizations that you have as partners as well, right? Yeah, so we have members that are international and partners that are international in scope and focus and obviously location. We, we're represented by more than 20 countries across several continents through our membership. Uh, but then we also build partnerships with other economic development associations, whether it's in Europe or in Africa or in South America or, or Asia uh, or Australia and, and New Zealand. We want to build partnerships and provide tools and resources that can be tailored to the needs of those regions of the world. Because we know economic development is fundamentally different here in the United States than it might be in Africa or might be in Australia. But there are tools and resources that can be can be applicable across those regions. And so the key there is to, to provide those in a way that can be tailored to the needs of those communities, those regions, those countries themselves. In, in the United States, we are very focused, obviously, on, on business especially business retention, those businesses that are already here. Um, and economic development is focused on small business growth in many ways. 46% of the jobs here in the United States are, are driven through small businesses. That looks and feels a little bit differently in different countries, different continents across the world. And so we want to make sure that not only do we not take the approach of here's how it works everywhere, but really understand where are the nuances that we can create opportunity, create some tools and resources that others can use? And how do we bring others into these conversations so that we better understand what works in, in the EU or what works in, in Asia? And what are the tools and resources they might need that we might be able to provide? But also, what can we learn from them as well? And how do we share those resources, share those learnings across not just our membership, but across the economic development field? Yeah, and, and, and not to get too high level, I don't want to scare away any listeners, but I mean, Every country sort of, you know, uh, translates Adam Smith and different economists and how that affects capitalism differently, too, because obviously France might be much more involved in sort of assisting agriculture or something more than we are maybe in the U.S. So when we you know, no matter what happens, you hear, you know, in the headlines and everything, globalism is not going to change. People are still going to need stuff. There's too much of an ecosystem globally now that we do in America have to figure out how do we adjust to how other countries do things. You know, you got the, uh, you know, the Trans-Pacific Partnership thing. I mean, you've got all these alliances. And 
I would imagine that makes your job much more challenging as you try to help out. I think you said you had like 5,000 members or something. We have 5,000 members across the world. Uh, and you're right. There are absolute challenges to how do you provide resources, thought leadership and ideas to those members about what works or what, what might not work because the nuances are so different across the world. But the beauty of, of what we've been able to achieve is not only those partnerships with those other associations across the world that are doing this work that help us with the with the cross learning. But we also have opportunities for those members, uh, whether from Australia or Canada or from the EU, to come into our conferences, to our webinars, to give their own perspective and, and really teach and learn uh, from others. And so it gives an opportunity not just for us to learn um, and teach, but it also gives others an opportunity to do the same thing. Yeah, there's nothing like a sort of the always evolving education process of economic development. I always told people, you know, every year it's a different story of what's going to be the most valuable thing that a company might be looking for. And if you don't have the full toolkit, you won't know what that is and you could easily miss, you know, great opportunities sometimes. Well, and the other, the other really important aspect of economic development here when we're talking about businesses in particular is how do we make sure that when businesses come in and start making investments, that those investments stay in the community? How do they circulate and, and really embed in those communities to benefit the community themselves and ensure that it is not just a one-way relationship? Economic development has become much more about that connectedness between business and community as opposed to one versus the other. You're listening to The Michigan Opportunity, featuring candid conversations with Michigan business leaders on what makes Michigan a leading state to live, work, and play. Listen to more episodes at michiganbusiness.org forward slash podcast. Let's get a little bit about you, though. Uh, you know, you're not just the guy that's running the IEDC now. You're also got a lot of Michigan roots. You grew up in Midland, you said, right? Yep. And but then you this is you what was your first I know you got two degrees from Michigan State, right? Yeah, so I got a degree in, in business management and then right head into my senior year at Michigan State, I took on a second degree called Family Community Services. It's very similar to social work. It's actually not a degree offered by Michigan State anymore. Um, but as a part of that, you're required to get an internship. And I had done the typical kind of family programming. I had done grant writing and been successful in there. And so I went to my advisor and said, hey, I want to take a different approach. I want to take a policy approach and understand how policy affects the programs on the ground. I was lucky enough at the time to, to find an internship and then Governor Granholm's office, now Secretary Granholm, um, and was lucky enough as, as a part of that internship then to, to have an opportunity to work for her once I graduated. And I spent about two and a half years with her uh, traveling across the state with her in, in rural and, and urban communities across across Michigan, and then I had the opportunity actually to come over to the MEDC. I spent almost five years at the MEDC uh, running three different economic development boards for the state right in the heart of the recession. Uh, so in, in many ways, both the worst and best time to be doing economic development, the worst self-explanatory because hemorrhaging jobs and supply chain was really, really critically uh, endangered at that point in time, but also the best because we had to be innovative and think differently about economic development. And so, you know, it was definitely in the trenches, five years uh, of doing that work with a lot of the, the folks that are still there at the MEDC, um, but it was also one of the best experiences of my life. Yeah, I think that's where you and I overlap somewhat. I was in the legislature at the time, and I know a lot of the packages I worked on were during that really dark ages of like from 2007 to 2010. And we were really open to things. But as you said, you know, 
like it's like almost like trying to do inductive versus deductive reasoning. You had to come up with something and you didn't know what was going to stick and what would be, you know, what would be attractive. And we should also mention that the uh, secretary Granholm's secretary of energy. (laughs) And and so that uh, she um, now is very involved with many different projects across the world, actually with that position. And I'm glad to see you guys probably still keep in touch. I'm, presume we do absolutely no she's she's great she's always had a focus on jobs and job creation whether it was as governor or now as secretary of energy um so she's been a huge 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 proponent uh supporter of of economic development throughout her her own career yeah she was really sharp working with her i remember in my committee she approached me on several different packages of bills before we actually rolled them out she would say are you interested in this those kind of things and uh worked out uh through the medc and we should mention too you you kind of went through facets you're at the medc but you also worked on i think you worked for three boards or four boards i forgot yes i ran uh the msf board the michigan strategic fund which is still still around i ran the mega board uh which was more your typical incentive programs and then board called the SEIC board, which was much more kind of university economic development focused. But we also did business plan competitions and some really unique things around trying to drive venture capital. So it was a really, really interesting and fun time to, to be doing economic development in the state. And obviously it learned a lot of those lessons that, that still apply today. Yeah, I, I would imagine that last board you mentioned was more like tech transfer kind of things where they were trying to implement projects from like students or research into private sector kind of. Yeah, it had a pretty wide scope of of work. Certainly, we were working very closely with universities. We had several university presidents that sat on that board. We also had, uh, you know, some venture capitalists that sat on that board. We had some private business folks and and some government folks. It was a really unique contribution across that board. Yeah, I'm sure that all those things come in handy when you're in the position you're in now, I would guess, too. Absolutely. uh, Something will pop up and go, oh, yeah, I worked on that before. Um, Three weird things, though, maybe not weird, but uh, you were also like head of fitness. You were a radio host and something with the Pistons. Yeah, so I I mean, I did a lot of stuff in the state of Michigan. So when I finished at the MEDC, I moved over to an organization called the Michigan Fitness Foundation. It's a nonprofit that still exists that runs a lot of the nutrition and physical activity programs across the state based in Lansing. Um, I ran a podcast while I was there. uh, And then back in college, I worked for the Pistons. I interned for the Pistons um, and, in fact, was set to go work uh, out for the St. Louis Rams, who were then in St. Louis and now are in, in L.A., uh, when I got the offer to to work for for the governor's office, so I, I turned them down. Um, but the, the experience I had with the Pistons is right at the heart of 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 their crown. Uh, it was 2004, oh. so the year year before they won the NBA title. But you know, it was it was a great time to be there. That was when Rashid was on the team, right? Rashid was there. Uh, yeah. They drafted Darko that year while I was there. <laughs> the uh, biggest mistake Hamilton. in drafting history. <laughs> 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 that was the same year in LeBron and. Um, who was it? Dwayne, Dwayne Wade, Wade, I think, yeah. all came out. And I think Durant, too, maybe. They all came out the same year. Um, that's crazy. That, yeah, that happened. Well, sorry. Let's let's get a little bit more to your ties with uh, Michigan a little bit. But you have at least, for my count, I went through your board. You have at least four board members that have Michigan ties. I think Quinton, obviously, who we've mentioned and you're friends with. Um, I think... Uh, I'm trying to remember who else. Oh, I think Maureen Krause, right? Yep. So Maureen Krause from Detroit is on our board. Joanne Crary is a former chair of the IDC from Saginaw Future. And actually, starting in January, Jonas Peterson at Southwest Michigan First is going to be the IDC oh, board good. chair for the next year. So we've got deep connections within our board. Obviously, Quentin is also on, on the board. We've got deep connections 
Penny Lewandowski uh, just stepped off the board, but she's she's been highly involved in Michigan economic development work for a long time. So there's definitely some deep connections from Michigan and on the IDC board and certainly, you know, in the work that we do. Yeah, um, I know that uh, you, we've mentioned some of your kind of stakeholders and partners anyway, but is there anyone else you'd want to kind of touch on a little bit that uh, you think are pretty important for the future of evolution of economic development that you work with now? Well, the interesting thing, we're actually just announced last uh, in, in the last couple of weeks, a new program that's a partnership with the National Association of Counties, the National League of Cities, the National Association of Development Organizations, the International County and City Managers Association, the Center on Rural Innovation, and the uh, Regional uh, Accelerator uh, and Innovation Network. So it's a huge partnership, um, but it's all about creating what we're calling an Economic Recovery Corps program. It is about embedding fellows into communities and economic development organizations across the country for up to three years to help lead their economic development efforts, kind of early to mid-career folks, uh, that are going to come in and have be fully paid for by us uh, and in our partnership and be embedded in, in what we would call distressed communities. So that could be rural, could be urban, could be tribal communities, um, but it's going to provide capacity for those communities to ensure that they can build out their economic development efforts that hopefully lead to more equitable economic outcomes in those communities. And that partnership with all of those organizations is incredibly important. And it's it's unique because many of those organizations touch economic development, but aren't directly involved in economic development. Most of them are doing, you know, county management work or, or city management work. And, and for us to bring them together and to, to really help counties, cities, uh, entrepreneur support organizations understand their connection to economic development and help them step into the economic development world in a deeper fashion, train them in the right ways and, and give them the resources and capacity to, to do this work is going to be hopefully just a, a tremendous asset to those communities and regions and obviously a new opportunity to continue to build partnerships. Yeah, um, I know that uh, when I was a state rep, five or four of my five cities had emergency managers. And I used to be a city manager at one time myself. So I know that was the thing I always tried to talk to the county about. I go, you know, all these communities qualify for these unique economic development tools, but they have no manpower or whatever to actually figure out what they qualify for or how to implement it and get advantages from it. I think that sounds like a great program. I have to congratulate you. Yes, it's just a great opportunity to help really distressed communities build their own capacity, start to access some of these resources and have a long-term approach to it. It's a three-year fellowship program. So it's not a one-time kind of one-year infusion. It's a three-year program that's fully funded for them so that they can really step into this work and identify and start to build out a long-term, you know, strategy for the, for their own community. Wow. That sounds wonderful. And while we're on the topic, uh, what other, I know you've already touched on quite a few things like energy and things like that, but what other sort of trends do you maybe see for, you know, either nationally, locally that we haven't covered yet? So I'll, I'll name two more. Uh, one is a focus on small business and entrepreneurship. Um, we actually have a new certification program, specifically focused on entrepreneurship-led economic development. And this is an emerging trend, not just here in the United States, but across the world, in really focusing on small business growth and entrepreneurship as a driver for economic growth in communities. And so we're training individuals, we're training organizations on how to take these approaches and drive more equitable economic outcomes through small business growth and entrepreneurship. But I think there's also a really deeply emerging trend on why this approach 
leads to better outcomes for communities and how it drives opportunity for communities, whether you're a rural community of 500 people or an urban community of more than a million. These strategies are, are vital and important to making sure that we're embedding wealth locally in the long term. The second piece is really about collaboration. So, you know, historically, the economic development field has been mostly about competition, competition, business to business, community to community, you know, in, in some ways, pitting states against one another, communities against one another. And I think there's a growing evolution in understanding that collaboration is actually where the end game really is. And how do we build collaboration? How do we help communities understand their connectedness with those in the surrounding area? And even in some cases, state by state, how do we help states understand that when one state in a nearby benefits, it also may benefit that other state? And how do we help governors understand that role? How do we help economic developers understand that role? And how do we build that connectedness that really leads to, to not just better outcomes, but also bringing together of communities. You know, today there's a lot of conversations around urban versus rural. When in fact, when urban and rural communities start to work together and collaborate with one another, both benefit. And there's huge benefits to both, especially over the last three years where we've seen the opportunity for people to work virtually. You know, the connectedness between communities is going to be really critical. And I think it's going to be an emerging trend. Yeah. Uh, digital nomads cut both ways. So you got to be careful with how much you embrace it sometimes. Um, but I want to, that's a really great topic too, because I always used to tell people, you know, that it is more about, you know, it's, I think of more like, you know, the bikers say like in the tour de France, like you got a team of people and then one person leaves for a while. So other people can rest. And, but you eventually, you're all just trying to do your best times. And it's not necessarily about who you're riding next to as much as if you're doing the best you can do, given what you have, right? And if Absolutely. you collaborate, that's even better. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, so last few questions for you. Uh, so this is one I love to give to people because it's a different answer for everybody. But if you could go back and talk to that person before you went to Michigan State, you're just coming out of Midland High School. Uh, what would you have told yourself today that maybe you didn't think about back then? I think... I think what I would have told myself is something I learned very early on in my, in my first job. And that is that not only do you have to believe in yourself, but you have to show others that you believe in yourself because no one's going to believe in yourself without you actually doing it yourself. And, and you've got to show people that, that you do understand and have, you know, you know, a, a desire to do this work, but also it's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to say, I don't know, but I'll find out. Because that will make the huge difference between either trying to make something up that is actually, you know, not not the case or not true and being OK with saying, I don't know. Many people today and quite frankly, when I was going through college, you know, never wanted to say no, never want to say I don't know. And it's OK to say it as long as you say, I don't know, but I'll find out if someone's asking you for something in particular, because that the and and obviously you have to follow up with them. But that builds relationships in really unique ways and gives people an understanding that, that you're not going to just give them an answer that they want to hear, but you're going to come back to them and follow up with them with more information based on what they asked. Yeah, I think that's a great lesson as someone that's been elected a half, half my life that, you know, you feel like the pressure to give a political answer or some answer just because you're asked. But honestly, I think most people do respond well when they say, I don't know. I'm going to get back to you on that. And most people are satisfied with that, but it's, it's, you're right. It's a bit of ego. You don't want to say you don't know sometimes, Yep. Uh, but that's good advice. Yeah. Um, 
The uh, last question is you lived here, obviously, and you might have a favorite spot. I don't know. I don't know how often you get back. But uh, what did you like best about either living in Michigan, a festival or location, something like that? Well, for me, it was northern Michigan in the summer. Um, you know, my parents had a, had a cottage up in Lake City, um, up by the Cadillac area. And so we were there every weekend of the summer. And quite frankly, most weekends in the winter, we'd go skiing. And so being up north to me was always a great respite, a great chance to get away. And, and even though we live in northern Virginia now, you know, we come back every summer and trying to get to northern Michigan. We've also brought friends back uh, to northern Michigan in the summers. And, and people have people have not been there, have no idea how beautiful it is. And especially people who have never seen a great lake don't understand the expansiveness of the lakes. And so for me, summer in northern Michigan is, is absolutely the place that that is always in my heart. Uh, and it's an opportunity we try and bring people back to show them what it's all about in the summer. You know, I, I, you know, I've had the same experience. We had a cabin up north too. And it's, uh, it's almost like a whole different world sometimes when people see it for the first time. And yeah. I can't believe, cause they just think it's either Detroit, Grand Rapids, you know, Flint, Saginaw, whatever, but they don't really think about the nature side of Michigan a lot. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, I want to thank you again. Our guest today, I, I, I should mention Nathan Orley was the president and CEO is the president and CEO of International Economic Development Council. Plus, you're new into this job. I should have mentioned that up front. Congratulations. How long, you've been in the gig now for less than a year, right? Uh, nine months today, actually. Today, oh. uh, for me, would be nine months. So nine months, I started in February. Well, I know Quentin's very excited about you being there. And a lot of the people you mentioned who serve on your board, even Jim McBride, uh, my cousin Jeff Donofrio said to say hello to you too. I told my- Please tell Jeff to say hello as well. He's a great guy. Yeah, and so we'll make sure that uh, everybody keeps in touch and hopefully we'll be able to circle back with you sometime in the future. Be happy to do that. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Thanks, Nathan. Join us next week where our guest is going to be Brad Garman in a new role, the Executive Director for the Michigan Outdoor Recreation Industry Office. The Michigan Opportunity is brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Join us and make your mark where it matters. Visit michiganbusiness.org forward slash radio to put your plans in motion.